In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. A couple of years ago now, there was a show on TV called White Collar. Anybody watch that or was it just me? A couple of you, thank you for admitting that in public. I appreciate it. it I will confess to you that it was, a, it was a favorite of mine. And I'm not exactly sure why, but the premise of the story is that actor Matt Bomer plays basically an art thief, but a very good art thief, maybe sort of a con man as well. And one of the things he's able to do is not just steal the art, but he can replace it with something that looks so close you almost can't tell. And the premise of the show is that now, I guess he made a mistake somewhere along the way, so he gets caught, and all of a sudden now he's working for the FBI, and now he's stealing for a good cause, right? The FBI has him doing all these things and occasionally sort of tracking down some of his friends, which feels like a conflict, right? But Overall, he's doing some good things, almost like a, a modern-day Robin Hood, stealing from the rich to give to the poor, liberating things in order to liberate people, to balance the scales, to make things better. There was something kind of quirky about that that I just thought was intriguing. But still, a little bit off, right? Stealing, a little bit off. The thing is, there's a lot to be said in the gospel this morning about thieves. Did you notice that? First, at the beginning of the passage, find your unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. It's a motif we hear elsewhere in the gospel as well, about thieves and moth and rust destroying things, and our treasure being safe in heaven, in God, but not safe if we store it here on earth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then at the end of the passage, we get this really interesting, very short piece about how if the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. That's sort of a weird comparison, isn't it? Doesn't it sound like we're comparing Jesus to a thief? That perhaps Jesus is even telling us that he is a thief? That he intends to break into your house at an unexpected hour, so you should be ready? If that's what it sounds like to you, you're right. That's what it says, that Jesus is the thief. But how could that be? In this part of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is teaching his disciples and the crowds about what it means to have an abundant life, about how to live a full and fulfilling life. And it's true that a lot of this chunk of text is about money and about possessions. Even today, it's present in the Gospel. It was present last week as well. Do not be afraid, Jesus says, because God wants to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you all the good things the things that don't wear out. But in order to receive it, he has some hard things to say to us about how we have to sell what we have and pay alms, meaning give to the poor. And just like last week, there's some real solid financial considerations for us to take seriously in the gospel that I think are especially, maybe especially, difficult here in Fairfield County. Concrete advice, certainly, that you would not accept from your banker or financial planner, right? 
take all these things and sell them and give all the money away is not a security plan for later. Now, perhaps you might say, okay, Marissa, but I'm not going to give away everything. Surely Jesus doesn't mean that. And he doesn't say that. He doesn't say you have to give away everything. He doesn't say give away all your possessions or sell all your possessions. Maybe he just means some. You all look skeptical about that. So it won't surprise you when I say, okay, fine. But let's try to take him seriously. Even if we're all unlikely to go and sell everything we have because of the world that we live in, because of the systems that we're a part of, because of the people to whom we're responsible, how do we take this word seriously this morning? What does that look like? And I think it should raise some questions for us, like, when was the last time you sold something important and gave the money to the poor? When was the last time you sacrificed something important and gave the money to the church? When was the last time you, like Robin Hood, liberated something in order to liberate someone? Now, all of us have the capacity to make a tremendous difference with our time, with our money, with our resources, with our attentions and our gifts. When was the last time you set aside things and really did that? And when will be the next time? And I think we have to contend with what it says, because if you listen to the text, there's some real urgency in it. Jesus is really sort of trying to, to push us on this. Be ready, he says, for you never know when the master is coming. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be ready. Be ready, he says. Blessed are the slaves who are found alert when the master arrives because he will sit down with them at the table and serve them. Well, that sounds like the Jesus that I know, switching the roles on that, coming to serve rather than be served. But then what is he stealing? How do we get to Jesus the thief? The epistle today comes from what we often call the letter to the Hebrews, except we really don't know that it's a letter or that it was written to the Hebrews. We're pretty sure it wasn't written by Paul, so that's some interesting information there. But we don't know who it was to or what exactly it was. And we don't know exactly who wrote it, though there are a few verses in the middle that seem to suggest it's somebody in Paul's circle. And there's some language throughout that seems to suggest that someone is trying to sound like Paul. We know that it's not Paul. And because there's no greeting and no ending at the end of this supposed letter, it doesn't follow the form of all the rest of the letters. It's actually very possible that it was a sermon, like this one, that was written down, but longer. I'm not going to keep you here that long. The truth is that we don't know much about the provenance of this text at all. It's one of the pieces of the New Testament that we really cannot trace. What we do know, and our biggest clue, is literally what it says in the words, right? What it argues. And I'm going to continue to call it a letter for the sake of ease, but keep in mind that it's, it's probably not one. In the portion we have today, the author writing, is writing to a church that is suffering. That's really the best word. To a church that is tired, to a church that is wounded, maybe even to a church that is dying. Hebrews is a letter trying to prop up the faithful, trying to Give them strength and renew them in the midst of hardship. They are weary of the world and the hardship that it is to be a Christian in the world. 
There's no indication in this letter that they are being persecuted, that they are suffering physically for their faith. So that's not something that's present. It really just sounds like they're tired. And which one of us can't relate to that? They're tired. They still love Jesus, or this letter wouldn't be compelling, but they're starting to come apart as a community, piece by piece. Because living the Christian life isn't easy. And we know that, right, as church people? We know that it's hard sometimes to live this life in the world and also to live it together. So the author of Hebrews writes to them desperately, urgently, trying to help them and to love them and to build them back up, to remind them of their faith and the gift that that faith is. In fact, the words by faith show up seven times in that text. It's a rhythm, by faith, by faith, by faith, seven times. It's like a chorus. By faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we received the word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And there's even a couple of other in-faiths and mentions of faith in there too. So despite the obstacles, the author wants them to cling, obviously, to their faith and to each other, to believe in the story of their ancestors, to see again with God that all things are possible. He wants them to be renewed by this promise and to have faith again in the God who created them and loves them, to see their faith not only as their greatest gift, but actually as their treasure, as something that binds them up, not just as a, a person, an individual, but as a community, and it will help them together find the way forward. Elsewhere in the letter, the author retells the story of Jesus in really dramatic fashion to remind them of how Jesus came into the world. You might say how Jesus broke into the world, into the mundane, disrupting life, taking on flesh, emptying himself to become like one of us so that he might live and die with us and steal us, steal us away from the pain and suffering of this world to free us for eternity. He comes to live with us so that we might live with him. And he wanted this community that was lost and was losing its way to remember and to take comfort and to find home together in this God who comes for them, who breaks in and refuses to leave them. This is the same God that we believe has liberated us. And it's not so different than the story of the thief who liberates us from the world, from the stories of the world, from the distractions of the world, from the obsession with possession and keeping up with each other, from the laziness and selfishness that pulls us apart, from the ways in which we hurt each other and hurt ourselves. The author of Hebrews wants to remind us that while we are in this world, we don't belong to it. And instead, our faith is our treasure. And it's our shared faith in many ways that's important. This letter, this sermon, whatever it is, it isn't written to one person who's losing their way. It's written to a whole community that they might remember and find the story together, that they might find their way forward with Jesus together. 
Because as difficult as it may be sometimes, we know as Christians that one of the very best gifts of our community, even shared community, if it's two churches like ours, is that we hold each other's stories and we hold each other close in a way that no other community can. No matter how tired we are and no matter what the path may bring, there is no other body in the world that loves the way that we do. So I'd ask you this morning to think about where in your life you need to be revived. If the author of Hebrews was writing to you, what would they say about renewing your faith? Where do you need to give up or let go some of the things that distract you? What keeps you from placing your whole trust in the God who loves you just the way that you are? What is your treasure? And where is it? Where do you keep it? And what have you seen? And what are you longing to see by faith? This morning, the gospel challenges us to be ready for him, to be ready. And I think the only way that we can do that is by freeing ourselves as much as possible from the things that distract us and weigh us down, from the trappings and the stories of this world, the things that encourage us to hurt ourselves and hurt each other. I think the only way that we can be ready is to try to follow as closely as we can together, to be in community, to be part of the larger body, because the gospel tells us he will come like a thief in the night. And if you are ready for him, if you will live by faith, if you will stay connected to the community and give him your heart, then the promise of this letter that we hear in Hebrews is that you will see greater things than these, even heaven itself. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen.